I keep going to the store and mm. looking for super, super blonde hair dye and cannot find it. I know it's tough to find a lot of things out there, <sighs> but after playing Final Fantasy VII Remake, all I want to do is embody my best good pal, Cloud Strife, and that starts God, you with guys have s- you guys have so much damn stuff in common, Russ. <laughs> no, <laughs> thank you. Finally, somebody saying it. My origin story—it's like back to front the same thing. Yeah, he fell in Mako <laughs> and turned into a super soldier, and he has bad flashbacks about a, a long-haired demon man who wants to kill him, and you eat the same bagel sandwich for breakfast every morning and have for like 15 years. It's like the same guy. It should be noted, we uh, this game does not cover all of Final Fantasy VII. I'm sure in part two, they will go into the fact that he can't digest milk. It hasn't yeah. happened yet, but mm-hmm. I think it will. People can't see this, uh, but there's some strange liquid in uh, Fresh's hair right now, and it mm. appears that the skin is peeling off of his forehead. There's yeah. a bottle behind him that just says bleach. Yeah. We're worried. That's not the bleach anime. <laughs> I don't want to get confused. It's a very anime episode. Russ, did you, um, where are you at vis-a-vis a sword, a blade, a buster sword? What do I use? Yeah. What are, yeah. You, what are you using for a buster sword? I'm worried about sort of your- a, Frame? Your brain and your bones just sort of yeah. holding up the sword that big. Right, so weight is a bit of an issue, I will admit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mm. I tried foam. That was a little too much. Um, I don't know if there's some sort of like like balloon-type material that I could use as sort of a replacement. But right now, yeah, it's been a struggle. I just had a and realization I, about myself is that I would pay $5,000 to see Russ Freshtick in Cloud Strife cosplay. And that's <laughs> yeah. something I'm discovering now, right in that live here as we record. That's weird. Challenge accepted. <laughs> And I hear you've been referring to your um, your allergy medication as your materia. Is that right? <laughs> yes, yes. It's it's. Uh, I only use green and red allergy medicine. It's very important. Right. It combos nicely. You can cast Claritin too. <laughs> My name is Justin McElroy, and I know the best game of like a hundred years ago. Boy, it feels like you've been saying that a lot recently. Doofa doofa, hey. This is it's high times. And, uh, high times. My name is Griffin McElroy, and I know the best game of the week. My name is Chris Plant, and I know the best game of the week. My name is Russ Freshick, and I know the best game of the Moogles. Oh, interesting. Welcome cute. to the Besties, where we uh, explore the latest and greatest in electronic entertainment. It's a book club about video games. It's a game of the year <laughs> show that goes all year long. And today we are uh, taking a step forward into the, pa- into the future, but also several steps backward into the past with Final Fantasy Remake Part 1. <laughs> We're also taking us a, a few like sidesteps sure. into a carnival house of mirrors, uh, a, a sort of uh, sensation of sights and sounds that is unlike anything I've ever experienced while holding a video game controller in my life. I want to challenge us mm, each mm. in a row to explain what the fuck Final Fantasy VII Remake is, because it's not what it says on the tin. I do not think you can say. I do not think you can safely say 
Well, they went ahead and remade Final Fantasy VII, the hit uh, role-playing game uh, from 1997. I think it's some, what they have done is something kind of else with it. Hmm. I mean, you do a lot of the same stuff, and there's a lot of the same people, right? I don't know. Okay, maybe we should just maybe we should just get into it. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. I mean, this is about as into it as you get. It's a remake of Final <laughs> Fantasy VII, a PlayStation game that was, I think, for okay. Uh, uh, real quick about Final Fantasy VII. Obviously, uh-huh. seminal, landmark, uh, huge moment for the PlayStation itself. I have a very mm-hmm. clear memory of walking past a KB Toys. Not owning a PlayStation, walking past the KB Toys, seeing the sign for Final Fantasy VII coming to PlayStation, and knowing that I had to obtain a PlayStation. I mean, that was like that was a pretty like I we knew like well we're gonna have to get one now because the new Final Fantasy is coming out on it. It was like was that massive. because you had an affinity for Final Fantasy? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah, yeah yeah. yeah. Okay. We 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 yeah. It was a big big deal. Griffin learned to read from Final Fantasy games. I mean, that was it was a big deal in our house. So like yeah, we um, would take turns essentially playing them. Like whenever we got them, we would we would who who here hasn't finished Final Fantasy three yet? Uh, and and we would just we would just bang them out. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that was a big deal for us when when this came out, and I think it was a it was a massive get for for PlayStation. Obviously, like the scope of this. I mean, first Final Fantasy with like Red Book Audio and uh, as drawn out cutscenes as these are. Well, as well drawn out as is slightly pejorative. What did you, but you just know say? What I Red mean. Book Audio. Uh, like like um instruments like real. Real, oh, oh, oh real, like an orchestra. Real, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't um, know that was the term for it. Uh, cool. I, you know what? It's funny. I only heard it in conjunction with um, Metal Gear Solid. I remember that mm. being the first place that I heard the term. It was like a very, it was a compression format for that CDs use, right? So it was like, oh. a, yeah. Anyway, the, so Final Fantasy VII remake. Obviously, this game is like Final Fantasy VII is a landmark that has been uh, still part of the zeitgeist in some sense. Uh, some 22, years after its release. Uh, and Final Fantasy Remake is a... Yeah, see, it is hard. It's, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a remake in the sense that we don't often get... It's not, it's not a remaster, which we, which we have a lot of. It's a remake in the sense that the basic beats of this game are, li- are, are adapted. It, it almost feels like, you know what? That is probably the best way I can think of it. Is like it almost feels like an adaptation mm. of Final Fantasy VII on uh, on modern technology. Like if Denis Villeneuve went in and tried to make it, did I get that pronunciation right? No, I Who did not. No, it's probably not. <laughs> no way of knowing. It reminds me of superhero uh, reboots. Mm. I think Marvel does this and has done this for a very long time, where you have something like Spider Man with the core uh, idea of like. Here's Peter Parker, and uh, Mary Jane is the person he's in a relationship, and he fights these very specific villains, and it usually happens in this order. Um, but it looks different when they reboot it. It feels more of whatever era it was released in, while also weirdly kind of commenting on the previous era, era that it was like most popular in, mm. which, which sounds weird. I'm going to try to unpack that a little with Final Fantasy VII Remake. What's wild to me about this game is doesn't feel like Final Fantasy 7 but it feels like a game from when Final Fantasy 7 was released. So you walk around these big dungeons and the hallways are very like they're effectively just a series of rectangles that you move through um and you find, you know, loot chests that you open and you have 
boss encounters. It doesn't feel like a big open world modern game. No. Really at any point. Mm. But again, like it, it doesn't feel specifically like Final Fantasy VII. It feels like something of of that generation. It looks absolutely am, am, amazing. Like it's one of the most impressive game like visuals of this console generation, I think. Well, um, some, yeah, some, no? some, sometimes, sometimes so, okay, you're so chilling sometimes, in Sector 7 and then, slums and yeah. a fucking door just turns into one big brown polygon <laughs> and every human being disappears suddenly. And you're like, what the fuck's going on? Doors and uh, doors especially, there, there's a fight that I just had where you, you go through the door and the texture on the door truly looks like it was from a PlayStation 1 game. It looks um, wild, yeah. And then the rest of the time, it's gorgeous. That's a throwback. That's a, that's a it's reference. intentional. It, 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 uh, truly. But yeah, I, I, I that's what it, what it reminds me of. It feels like I don't. I have not finished the game, but I don't trust the story. And by that, I mean like I don't know if I feel like this game is going to be super loyal to Final Fantasy VII. I everything about this feels like it is barreling towards um, making choices. Can I can yeah. I stop you for a second? How important yeah. to you? Uh, how important? Well, I should say uh, in general, how important is it that it be loyal to to Final Fantasy VII for you? Zero. Okay. Because I played Sega Saturn. <laughs> And I love <laughs> Nights and Dreams. All right. So my my relationship with uh, but, Final Fantasy VII is mean. So why don't you trust? Why do, why don't I trust it? Yeah. Because uh, I I don't know a way of like saying this other than like it feels like it's setting up. I don't. I obviously I don't have like a strong connection with Final Fantasy VII the original, but the characters have a level of depth that I don't think that the game will be as quick to get rid of them as I know the original did i i know having not played all of the original the basic story beats i know which characters die right and i it, i don't think there's a way in hell that this game to be clear for people who uh don't know all this this game is spread out across many many games and the chunk that uh final fantasy 7 remake that's available now only covers like what maybe like a sixth of the original final fantasy 7 I, I I think I think we're a little bit in the weeds right now. Okay. I think I think we should explain. Can we talk about what, like, like store like the setup? The what store, it is, like, right? Because I think I think that the conversation has only been mired in what Chris was getting into of like how much of the game is there, how much of that because it's this is the Midgar section of Final Fantasy VII, which is I think like the first disc or even the first half of the first disc of four discs in, in right four three or four discs in Final Fantasy VII yeah, the original. It is the first five or six hours of. Final Fantasy VII spread out over a 30 to 40 to 50 hour uh, modern remake game, right? And that was, it was really hard for me to click with this game, despite the fact that like the combat is completely different. Uh, it, it, it has the Materia system in it, which is kind of similar to how Materia worked in Final Fantasy VII, where you got all your abilities and spells are slotted into these little gems that you could put into your items and, and whatever to like build different loadouts for your character. That system was so ahead of its time and kicked ass and still kicks ass today. The real-time combat feels really good, I think, and there's a lot of like strategy to doing turn-based combat stuff. Like All that was great, and like Chris said, like they, it looks amazing. Like They bring Midgar to life in like a really jaw-dropping way that really just makes you feel this this sense of place but it was really hard for me to not feel like if this isn't even the whole game then does it make sense for me to even play it should I wait until like the whole game is but 
after spending, I'm about 10, 11 hours into it, and it is already pretty apparent that they are, like Chris said, making some choices yeah. where it is so not a retelling of the Final Fantasy VII story. There are certainly the beats and the characters and the setting that it, it has in it, but they are for sure doing some other Do, stuff. Yeah, uh, let, me, let me ask. Do we want to sort of give an example? Is there a way to give an example of something that's like, I mean, for people that aren't super here's, familiar, like how differing like, let's say these this. stories are going to be. The first, the second chapter, maybe, uh, it involves these invisible ghosts that are everywhere and they are just running wild and you encounter them in a very iconic section of Final Fantasy VII where there weren't no ghosts <laughs> back in the original PlayStation version. And these these ghosts uh, are, are, I would say, like probably the main divert. I keep calling them ghosts. They may not be that. I haven't figured out what they are, but I'm starting to get some pretty wild hints about what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, they are a thing that was just straight up. This, this story beat and the things that they are teasing out was not in Final Fantasy VII at all. We are talking mm-hmm. about a completely different sort of like fractal of this this world that they are emphasizing in a way that if it's going where I think it's going, it's fucking, it's yeah. bizarre and wild and cool. Um, it, there's, I mean, there's, there's other stuff that I feel like is a little bit more endemic to Final Fantasy VII. There's Biggs and Jesse and Wedge. Uh, these these avalanche eco-terrorists with a heart of gold, and you really get to know them a lot more. They really flesh them out more as characters, and they do a great job with that. But that feels more like they are expanding Final Fantasy VII. They are also doing stuff that feels like, oh, y'all are also yeah. on some whole nother shit to, that doesn't make me feel like I'm just getting a slice of this thing that already exists. Yeah, to, to get into the thing that uh, Griffin's referencing with, Jin, <laughs> with Jesse Biggs uh, and Wedge, Jesus. Uh, it there's entire side sections that feel like um bottle episodes of TV. So a comparison yeah. I've seen a few people make on Twitter is like if Final Fantasy VII Vanilla was a movie, then this is the like Netflix series that you're going to get these episodes. It's like okay, this episode's dedicated to this character. You're going to really learn what makes them tick. So that if some twist uh that happened in the original, I think they'll land a lot harder. But again, like, sure. I also just, I don't know, the, the amount they're investing into the characters in this game, it's hard to believe that they don't have bigger plans for them. It's a weird, I, I don't know, that feels like a weird criticism, because I, I fully think they are going to continue, I don't think that they are going to divert from a lot of the key things yeah. that made Final Fantasy VII so, like, um, you know, astonishing when it first came out. I'm, I'm curious to hear this, because I've noticed the, the conversation about characters is kind of important about Final Fantasy VII Remake because that is the the two things that I would say they are really, really focusing on and your enjoyment of these two things will determine your enjoyment of of Final Fantasy VII Remake because the, the, the narrative and pacing is like pretty rough at times is how you feel about Midgar as a setting and how willing you are to like really, really uh, embed yourself in that setting and really like luxuriate in how much detail is everywhere and how much you enjoy the characters um, because again, they've done way more character work and I think the characters are great and it's really smart how they have fleshed these characters out. But I also think that the dialogue at times gets like Kingdom Hearts three level clunky mm-hmm. in a way that, wow, it turns me off so bad. Yeah, there's a variety. I, I think there's a range. So there are certain, I think, dialogue sequences that play off totally fine. Uh, you know, I think Cloud and Barrett have like a lot of good back and forth and then they'll have like a scene, as you said, Griffin, that's like a total clunk fest. I think it's, 
I think part of the reason why Final Fantasy VII is so enduring and why people love it is not because of the story, because gun to your head, even though you may be able to name some like major moments, could you explain this like overarching story of Final Fantasy VII in a simple way? No, it's the most convoluted Kojima-esque Mishigas going yeah. on. <laughs> but you remember, hey, I remember Valentine. I, like me personally, I love, he's not in this game, but Cat Sith, the like giant yeah. white guy with the like cat on his back was awesome. So those are the things that I remember. And I actually think, despite, again, Griffin's mention of a few clunky moments, I think by and large, they do justice to these characters in ways that make me care. Yeah. Um, so I, I really like that part. I, I would also add, like, even if the, like, environment isn't necessarily clicking with you i think the combat clicked with me like instantly in ways that haven't for any jrpg like in the last 10 years yeah it's it's very interesting so you've got basically it is a uh it is similar to kingdom hearts to reference that again um you are able to attack do a basic attack at any time but uh your other ability you're filling up a bar that with these attacks and with blocking that lets you do other abilities and that could be a spell that could be a, an attack um, uh, or it could be something like boost your defense, whatever. Like the abilities vary from character to character. So combat is really uh, a lot of times the, the sense of like managing a lot of different plates spinning at once. You're uh, attacking, uh, you're waiting for your big attack to fill up and then you're using your big attack to, uh, there's a, this idea of like staggering enemies, which is basically like reducing their stamina so they faint, for lack of a better term, and you can get huge uh, damage on them and different things stagger different enemies to different amounts. So you got to kind of keep track of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have other things that are sort of like on a longer timer, like there's limit breaks and big attacks like that. And you can also, at the same time, give commands to your cohorts. You can switch to them at any time, or you can give like one-off commands to them to help like synchronize your abilities. So they cast something that will stagger the enemy and you leap in with, with uh, you know, a big attack to do, to do bigger damage. Yeah. It felt, I remember like doing like that, even that first like boss fight uh, that you, you know, you fight this giant robot guy. The boss fights whip ass in this game. Yeah. The boss fights are amazing. It reminded me of like Bayonetta level, like insanity during the boss fights. Yeah. But in that boss fight, you really like, like there's this give and take that previously it was just like a turn-based thing where you're like, okay, right. I'm going to use Barrett to cast the lightning and then cloud is going to go in and use a special thing. But because this is all happening at real time, you're whipping back and forth between these characters so quickly that it seems like chaos. Like I'm sure if someone walked in and watched me playing this, it was like, I was playing like a made up, like the video game and hackers that they just like threw up <laughs> on the projector, <laughs> like a total bullshit game. But for me, it like starts clicking once you like, oh, I'm watching these meters and these meters. And normally that turns me off because there's so much going on. But there was something about the, just the combination of it all that like really worked. I think the two things that are cool about it is one, it forces, it doesn't allow you to hang back and just feel confident because you have enough mana to cast your healing spell X number of times. Because there's a lot of situations where like, man, I love to heal everybody. I don't have any energy basically in my bar. I got to go like kick some ass to to refill that hopefully in time to get a cure off to try to save this thing. The other thing that I think is, is, is cool that I didn't expect was like uh, the first few times I have done almost any of the big encounters, I get my ass handed to me and I have to take a step and be like, okay, wait a minute. I need to reevaluate the order of operations here because I'm doing something wrong. And there is a way through. You just have to like, really like this is, uh, 
you know, in a lot of RPGs, you get that uh, ability or piece of material or whatever that's like, scan the enemy for weaknesses. It's like, fucking bullshit. I'll sell that first opportunity I get. I got a weakness. Swords. In this game, like, I'm like, hold on. Let me, hold on, everyone. Let me assess his weaknesses. Because so I, I have to. Or else yeah. they will kill me. Because the enemies right. aren't just, like, there's a lot that have, like, certain specific techniques. That There's one, I just did one fight where there were these three enemies that uh, require before you could do physical damage to them, you had to hit them with some spells. So it was this constant taking turns of like, okay, I cast a spell on this guy, so somebody else has to get in and get a few attacks, and then I'll re-up my spells once he becomes immune again to physical attacks. And that's just like a regular enemy that, that has that level of, of depth mm-hmm. to, the, to the encounter. I will say it's a little frustrating. I wish I had a little bit more macro control over how the companions behave when i'm not in control of them it very much wants you to plant i talked about this a little bit it very much wants you to be jumping back and forth between the two mm-hmm. unlike um say something like mass effect where you can kind of set it and forget it a little bit sure um you really do need to like jump in and and help uh those companion characters or a lot of times they're not going to fill up the bar as fast as you need them to or, or whatever else yeah how, how do you all feel about cloud as a character in this game it's so interesting, right? Final Fantasy VII in play... It, up till, I would say, Final Fantasy... Final Fantasy IX had a very likable protagonist. Final Fantasy VIII had, uh, what, Squall, Leonhardt, who sucked. Uh, Final Fantasy VII, you had Cloud, who was a big edgelord, uh, all the way through the, you know, first act of the game until he meets uh, Aerith. Man, She's called Aerith in this one, but like she was called Aerith in the stateside release of yeah, Final Fantasy VII, and it, it, it's been this huge divide that now has it seems like uh, come together. Meets this meets uh, Aerith in the church, and then finally starts to like let that facade drop a little bit. In this game, like you start to see that like they try to make Cloud relatable pretty much after the first chapter like they try to they they do a lot to make his constant flashbacks be less sort of soap opera y and a lot easier to kind of follow what he has been through and what's been going on but also like you get more interactions with him and jesse and wedge and biggs that that there's one whole chapter where they go to jesse's uh, maybe i shouldn't spoil it but it's the most like that is that is where it hit peak like Hideo Kojima like why are they talking about pizza so much <laughs> wow they're talking about pizza a lot um but like he starts to relate with these characters and starts to kind of like them become become like defensive of them and that kind of like subverts Final Fantasy 7's whole thing which is like this guy is a miserable yeah. bastard mercenary who's just in it for the money and now he's like kind of he's you know taking pot shots at, at other people from time to time and like cracking jokes every he's still like a hard ass but he's you know definitely lighter than he is in Final Fantasy 7 so I'm like I'm I am enjoying him I'm enjoying the direction that they are taking him compared to the original yeah I, I didn't expect this to be uh, the generation in which Final Fantasy games become almost exclusively a critique of masculinity specifically toxic masculinity but you look at Final Fantasy 15 and it was very similar I mean that game rules and it's also about a boy band that drives around in a cool car and like killing enemies and and fishing together and camping and and snuggling and being best friends who love each other and then this game i i the one time i actually tried final fantasy 7 a few years ago i bounced off because i i just hated cloud as a character and here he is so likable so quickly and like 
sad. The, the, the flashbacks are so sparing and unclear that it reads more like trauma than, like you said, soap opera. That's Well, that is what they tried to accomplish. He has a traumatic backstory mm-hmm. and Final yeah. Fantasy VII... I, whether it's by virtue of the writing or the pacing or just the graphics back then, like, didn't really land super Yeah, well. and then there's this famous scene from the game, the honeybee in scene, where he cross-dresses, and in the original one, it was not um, delicate. In 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 this version, it, it's, like, warm and, and nice. Okay, let, let's not hand out a lot of medals. There's still some stuff in this no, game it, that I was pretty embarrassed for my wife. My <laughs> wife walked in when Tifa dressed oh, like oh, no. s- some sort of like very specific, <laughs> like very, sp- like this is a specific fetish that she's dressing for, for her husband. Uh, very specific is asking me what kind of clothes should she wear? Something exotic or something. And I'm like, my wife's like, what are you playing? And it's like, this is a really old game. Like that came out um, a week ago. Uh, but uh, gosh. And I, I this, the, the wild sexual is that Aerith runs like an absolute idiot. It's like a bizarre. Nobody like, it, runs good in this case. There, nobody, nobody runs good, runs but good. Aerith looks like whoever designed it had seen a woman once in a magazine and tried to reverse engineer via bone structure how it, their form might operate. It is wild. Were you unnerved by um, whenever you talk to women in this game, the camera stops being a two shot and just goes to Cloud's POV and the character looking yep. directly in your eyes with which is just barreling. It's really awkward. I have to talk. I have to talk about uh, talking about walking animations. Reminded me of uh, my, probably my biggest problem with the game, and it's the I love it, and I also have a hard time playing it for long sessions because it exhausts me. Uh, because I think the pacing is so bad. Uh, there is, I believe it's chapter three, you get to Sector 7 Slums, which is where, I mean, it is it is an iconic, I, I, I think settling this game in Midgar makes a lot of sense because it is the most iconic part of Final Fantasy VII in my mind, outside of like Costa del Sol, which is still such a memorable thing. Um, and Sector 7 Slums is so iconic, you get Seventh Heaven, the bar uh, that, that Tifa owns, and uh, just this like dope aesthetic uh, that they really do nail. Being able to look, the skyboxes in this game are out of control. Mm-hmm. Looking up and seeing the artificial sun lamps that are yeah. like these mile wide things hanging over the city and like playing at some points in Sector 7 and the light is all bright and artificial and, and cloying. And then sometimes you get like that golden hour sun shining between the plates. Like the detail that they've put in here kicks ass. But the... Like I said, the the doors are like a little uh, snippet of what I think is like a pretty glaring problem of uh, just like it feels like they have five pounds of game in the most beautiful 50 pound bag like ever created. And chapter three for me is like the biggest example of that where you have all these side quests which involve you going to like the same three places three times over and getting 500 gil here and some high potions there and then there was one scene where like these ruffians show up to to rough up barrett they're like looking for barrett and they're like follow me and you follow this group of ruffians to this back alley and you're like oh i'm gonna have to fight these ruffians and it never comes up it has not come up again maybe i'm missing something but i'm 11 hours in i've never seen hide nor hair of those dudes again but walking behind them 
it's like five dudes and they all have the same walking animation in perfect lockstep just like and it's it's not good and they like walk upstairs in that like sort of video game you just like like hopping up it all in lock and it's like seeing that like y'all put so much work into this world and made it so realistic and so amazing and i want to be in it but then i see some shit like this and it's like why did Somebody had to play this and say, like, hey, it's really weird how they all walk like automaton puppets all attached by strings, like in the NSYNC uh, Bye 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 music video. Like, what's going on? That needs to happen. Uh, Fresh, uh, you have have something? Yeah, no, I I mean, I I just find it very interesting that, like, because I bounce off JRPGs so quickly, it just kind of amazes me that more games don't follow the way that this game starts. Um, you talk about Final Fantasy 15, which is, if people recall, the one with the people with the boys in the car and they drive around, and that that game starts with like a I remember a like insanely complicated actiony cutscene with spaceships flying and shit like that, and then the game actually starts and you're in the desert and you're just driving around and I literally I was on a stream and I fell asleep. It's the only time it's ever happened. I <laughs> fell asleep playing this game. And I feel like most JRPGs follow that same model. Like, uh, you know, you're a small boy in a small village, and hey, it's your birthday today, so I guess you're gonna you're gonna challenge the birthday gods and and march up the mountain and complete this one challenge. <laughs> you hate Zelda now? To... You hate Zelda? You're done with Zelda? <laughs> I'm talking about JRPGs now, Chris. <laughs> but this game starts with like a fucking action-packed 30 to 40 minute like heist sequence that like does not happen a lot anymore. And I don't understand why it's like in the same way we were talking about Resident Evil last week, where like, why did Resident Evil four hit? Why did Resident Evil two, the remake hit is because it, it matched this balance that like drew people into the game in an interesting way. And then they, and then they sort of forget, Hey, this was something that worked. Maybe we should just go back to like a really slow, like exposition heavy thing. It feels weird to call this a JRPG because when you do that and you ref- and it's called Final Fantasy, I think you assume a certain thing. Um, it is. It is. Uh, I, here's. I think this is framed by the fact that I'm still playing Persona, uh, Persona Five mm-hmm. Royal, which is a JRPG yeah. to the to the fucking max. Uh, and I'm still not. I'm not having a problem playing these two simultaneously because Final Fantasy VII Remake really does feel like a cinematic character action game. Like I think you could make the argument that it is somebody mentioned Bayonetta like you can make the argument that it is maybe closer in its its DNA to something along the the character action line than it is an RPG because it's it's it is chapter based it is fairly linear it is uh it really focused on characters and story like Justin are you okay I think it's that no, I don't think it's like Bayonetta, though. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like you press. There's the one button with a sword that does a sword okay, hit, and I, if you, you know hold I'm it, talk- it does I'm a not, longer sword hit. I'm not I think talking that about. You are talking about wild stuff where it's like it's kind of like Bayonetta. I don't know. There's a. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it's like that. That seems it's a, not a it's combo based game. I, it's more like Diner Dash if you want to get into it. <laughs> How is Fine. it like Diner Dash, Justin? Because you have meters that are filling up, and you've mm-hmm. got to keep one thing going, and then you got to switch back to the other. Barrett's, you know, making hamburgers <laughs> slash recharging his lightning powers. You know, same basic principle. Can I? I, I, I want to get. I want to just ask like one big uh-huh. question before we like close out. It's just like. We've talked a lot about what it is, mm-hmm. but I, I'm, wh- why is it? Why does it and I don't exist? mean that confrontationally. I mean, like, 
what I'm having, like, I don't feel like we answered the initial question. Like, what is the, because for me, the cool thing about remakes it, in a, a large part is that like they're, they allow a new audience into a thing by updating how it looks. So you're not put off by that and looks and sounds and like tweak some of the like smaller issues, but keeping the bones there. This is really like an overhaul in, in a sense that we like, we don't see in video games pretty much ever. Like what is the, what, what do you all think the goal of this really is? And do you feel like it, it achieved that goal from what you've seen so far? Yeah. I think we're seeing like a really weird moment for video games in that a lot of the people who um, were directors uh, when we were kids are now like running studios. Right. Uh, And then people who are inspired by them who are, extremely creative now have director positions so we're entering uh, god please forgive me and i know fresh i can already feel your eyes rolling when i say this i think we're entering this weird postmodern part of video games where video games double as both the game itself and a critique of the game or the medium or whatever its influences were and i think we saw that with forgive me again near automata which is really just a critique of video game history i think Final Fantasy VII Remake largely is a critique of the Final Fantasy series. Um, it is really going hard at um, riffing on characters both from Final Fantasy VII and ideas from all of the games. I think we've seen it with other things. I think Bioshock Infinite is just a re-exploration of Bioshock. Um, it, it's a really weird moment where we're getting to see games actually be about games and like this is normal like that sounds heady but film has done this forever like we see this in jerry bruckheimer does stuff like this like transformers plays with these ideas but it's it's kind of new in games and i think that's what from a purely artistic point of view like what do i like about it because the answer why is it'll make more money like that's the answer of why square enix made this but why did these directors get excited about it I think they got excited about it because they realized we can take something that is one of the most influential works of art in this medium, like straight up, and we can unpack it, we can morph it, we can play with it, we can find out what makes it exciting, we can do it better. Like, I, th- I think that there yeah. is a certain hubris to it, and that shit is wild. And, like, that is, I think that is, like, at my core why when I'm playing this game, I'm just, I feel like energetic because it is yeah. so cool to play with a game. I want that is everyone doing that. to play it. Everyone should play it. Like I, I I wouldn't even say I've enjoyed I'm enjoying half of it, but everyone <laughs> should play it because I've never played anything I've never played a game that has attempted to do what this game is doing. And I think that that's like like Plant said, like that is cool and there, exciting. There's one other thing that I want to hit on because it's something that we talked about last week and I'd like to get your opinions on it. Last week we talked about playing Resident Evil 3 like in this moment, right? Like in a time of pandemic and in a time of, I think, just like global stress, right? And I was really worried going into this game about playing a game that was set in apocalypse or dystopia, basically, um, with everything going on. And I thought it would really bum me out. And it hasn't at all. It's actually like made me feel really good. And I've been trying to figure out why that is. And the best guess that I have is I feel like most dystopian stories are, hey, we don't have blank, but we have each other right like we don't have Mm. money or we don't have like basic society or we don't have a place to live but at the end of the day like we have each other so no matter how bad the world gets like things are good and what's so weird is the crisis that we're living in right now is 
basically the one crisis that is allergic to that that solution like it's the one scenario in which like it's gorgeous outside right now but the one the one thing we don't have is each other and i think that's why this is clicking for me in a way that resident evil didn't resident evil is not about uh, having other people it's basically just about like survival even go into a dystopian world but spend time with all of these level lovable characters it feels like such a huge relief, and I, I like yeah, that. I mean, Animal Crossing. Rules. I think Animal Crossing. Yeah, Animal Crossing is doing the same thing. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think it makes a huge difference, and why? You know, to go back to what I said earlier, why this game is so memorable is because of the characters, like the original FF Seven, and being able to spend time with them in ways that, like previously, they were just like, you know weird polygonal like shapes and then just text written on a screen to have them like the whole thing fully voiced and and just these much more fleshed out well-rounded things is the crowd barks are a little assertive from time to time i would say running down a single hallway to like pick up an item and then running back and hearing the same guy go look at that big sword i gotta get me a sword like that look at that big sword i gotta get me a sword like that it's a little bit it's a little much i mean he wants that sword he wants a big sword i i listen this has been great we gotta move on we're gonna take a quick break uh, the huge sword still looks stupid. Uh, <laughs> and moving on, I'm sorry. It's it looks ridiculous. It's it's idiotic. He should be falling over backwards every time he takes a step. And now a quick break. You go get a phone. You just want a phone. Talk to your friends and family. You're not asking so much. Then you get these contracts, and you get ripped off because you got all this fine print, little details, and all of a sudden they're sucking money out of your pocket like some sort of digital leech. You know. The contract may sound good uh, up front, but there's always some sort of catch. You know who's not going to do that to you? Not going to pull that nonsense? Mint Mobile. Their wireless plans, there is no catch. $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those savings directly on to you. You want to pay hundreds of dollars for, like, literal hundreds of dollars for your wireless plan? Or do you want to have a nice easy solution save some put the bucks back in your pocket pay 15 bucks a month say bye to your overpriced wireless plans jaw-dropping monthly bills the unexpected overages sound familiar to get this new customer offer and get your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month go to mintmobile.com besties that's mintmobile.com besties Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash besties. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Y'all, you already know how much I love our sponsor of the week, Rocket Money. They make it so easy to get your personal finances on track especially stop worrying about all these subscriptions that you have that you don't necessarily need. Keep the ones you want. Get rid of the rest. Here's how it works. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. That might sound too good to be true. I have tried it myself on multiple different monthly payments I have and it's worked, which is 
incredible and so much easier than getting on the phone with all these companies and trying to wrangle this yourself. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. So cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash besties. That's rocketmoney.com slash besties. Rocketmoney.com slash besties. This episode of The Best of These is sponsored by Aura Frames. All right, so you know there are a number of people in your life that are not necessarily the most technologically savvy. I'm sure immediately names jump to your mind. Those are the sorts of people that you would say, oh, maybe they would want a digital picture room in their house, but they wouldn't necessarily be able to like set it up and get it working and add new pictures and stuff like that. That is where Aura Frames comes in. It's a digital picture frame that allows you to basically upload any photos that you have directly to the frame. You don't need them to do any work. In fact, you could even set it all up before they even open the box. You have the account set up. You just have to connect it to their Wi-Fi. And once that's done, everything happens over the internet. So you can add new photos, you can do whatever you want, and it all works completely smoothly. I set it up for my grandmother, who's 95 years old. I set it up for my mom, who's 70 years old. And they both love their Aura frames, and they love seeing the pictures and new photos of the family all being added without them having to do anything. So I'd highly recommend it. I'm really, really happy with it. And right now... You can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code BESTIES. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code BESTIES. Terms and conditions apply. Um, honorable mentions. Is anybody else playing anything that they would like to discuss? Um, I know I just told you that I was going to talk more about Persona 5 Royal, but I changed my mind. Um, it's great. I'm, I'm really enjoying it a lot, actually, the more I play it. I do want to talk about a little game for Xbox One Connect called Rabbids Invasion, the interactive TV show. <laughs> been playing that with my boy uh, Henry, who's three, and who I've not been able to like really get into a video game. Uh, like He will watch me play Pokemon sometimes, but that's about the extent of it, because he's like he doesn't understand how to use a controller uh, still, but... Rabbids Invasion, the interactive TV show, is a cartoon with the rabbits in it, and sometimes a little picture will appear of an item, like a traffic cone, and then whenever that traffic cone appears in the cartoon, you have to point at it, and whoever points at it first gets points. And that's like, it's like such base-level interactions that like little, little, little kids can understand that it is the first time that like we are really clicking, like... Fruit Ninja 2 also on Connect is really becoming a hot item in our house. It is the first time that the dream of Connect has been realized. Uh, and I am like, and you know, I'm there's no telling what the future holds for It's so funny. After Griffin did his plug for this game that I'd never heard of, I bought it. And then I got my daughter downstairs, booted it up, and it's like, point at this. I'm like, huh? I had explained to my daughter that Daddy's box was too leaked to accept a connect camera daddy's box was too rugged to be able to take it's too good to be able to take a busted down connect camera and plus she said i know you have one it's like i do baby but daddy's box is too rugged too cool to take this old ass camera uh so sadly we have not yet played it she is still heartbroken but what we did play is my honorable mention 
which is not what I said it was going to be. It, oh. is, in it is instead the Putt Putt franchise <laughs> available on Steam. That's right. Humongous Entertainment and Broder Bun present Putt Putt. And the whole series is on Steam. These games were made in 1995. Okay. They're on, they on the Scum Engine. They are adventure games for kids. And honestly, you're laughing, but as a parent who's been looking for something, anything to distract my child for a moment, she has now, and this has never happened before, she has now played through Putt-Putt, uh, joins the parade, Putt-Putt saves the zoo. Wait, are these golf on, games? No, no it's oh, a car. Putt-Putt's a little car. car. Oh. Um, and they're basic, I mean, they're very basic adventure games for kids. And it's like, basic get the item take the item to the person who needs it kind of stuff fully voiced um they they were originally on cd but the downloads are you know minuscule all the games cost like six bucks um but they actually vary most of the games vary a little bit between uh red book audio indeed my friend i'm glad (laughs) so you know the terms going in that's excellent um but the, the actual mechanics like the solutions can differ uh different times or like the challenges that you have to do can differ on each playthrough uh, and, and it takes like an hour to play through each one. Um, they're really cool. I was so f- happy to find them again because I remember I had such fond memories. I mean, I was a little old for them when they first came out, but uh, I, I was hoping that, you know, uh, Charlie would get into them. And she really, really has. So they're just called Putt-Putt. They're on Steam. Check them out. Uh, I wanted to mention Good Job, which is on Switch. Uh, yeah. It is a game that is like a physics-based puzzle game, essentially, uh, using the graphics kind of uh, look like stick figures that you'd see in like a how to save someone from choking poster. Um, and the idea is you have simple objectives like, hey, bring this um, projector from this room into another room. But because the physics are so like outrageous, outrageous and like bonkers, you'll end up like knocking over desks and like throwing, like knocking things through walls and stuff like that. So it's this interesting balance of like, do I want to be super careful or do I want to like rush through this thing as quickly as possible. The game actually encourages you to rush, even though that creates like a comical amount of chaos. Um, and uh, I found it like really easy just to like pick up. Uh, there's drop in, drop out, two player co-op locally. Um, kind of in the spirit of I'm trying to remember, like Gang Beasts, like those like goofy physics games. Yeah, um, you know, kind of untitled goose game, I would say in, in that in that the chaos is part of the point. Right. Yes. Yeah. Chaos is definitely part of the point and, and it's better that you kind of lean into it. Um, I really liked it. It was great. If you have Game Pass, uh, really quick, a new game just got added to Game Pass, so you can play it for free if you're a subscriber. It's called uh, Near Automata, Game of the Your High Edition, okay. and uh, I encourage you to give it a try. I don't know if it's audible when I hit my head against the mic, but yeah, that's what I'm uh, doing. We, we are running long, but do we have any uh, uh, salient like feedback from the audience about this remade Final Fantasy I have game? one tweet that I want to share. I, I know we're running uh, long. This is from Jess. Uh, as someone who is a diehard Cloud fan, I really appreciate how much I disliked him to start off with. This is about the remake. His personality and flaws are so much more fleshed out than it could be in the original, and I love seeing him slowly soften as he builds relationships with the other characters. Uh, Jess also notes, also the Honeybee Inn sequence made me happier than anything I've experienced so far in a video game. So there's that, which is... Wow, damn. It's good. I think I'm about... I'm just about to the wall market. Am I I almost there? uh, Yeah, you're you're probably about five hours out. Jesus. (sighs) So many hours. Long time listener, 
from uh, John Lynch writes to us for the first time. It says, Final Fantasy VII was a life-defining game for me. I got it with a PlayStation on Christmas morning in 97, but was immediately informed the family was eating out for Christmas lunch, so I couldn't play it until our return. I was so desperate to experience it that I snuck the game manual out with me and secretly read it from cover to cover about 10 times under the tablecloth oh instead God. of eating or interacting with anyone. Best Christmas lunch ever. Oh, good. So there's finally somebody that understands the overall plot. <laughs> That's what it required. That just took me on a, like, trip. I feel yeah. like I was always up to shit like that. Yeah. Like, man. I miss, I miss that. I used to, I used to love the drive back from the mall. And I would just like be reading the a manual back in those. Yeah. See, kids, manuals were. I'm telling um, you, they used to be printed out, and they uh, would have a place that you dip it in water to reveal a code. <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek was only. Um, that's the show, right? Next week we're doing something a little bit different, and because there's no games, <laughs> we got so excited about games, and then games left the room uh but we are we're gonna be doing something different and exciting and fun if you want to be the first to hear about it follow us on twitter at the besties pod and i guess probably join our mailing list yeah you can subscribe to the mailing list uh it's the pinned tweet uh on our twitter feed and uh you can also as you have probably discovered at this point follow and listen for free on spotify please take a moment to share the show with a friend besties.fan is the uh is a, is the web address you can use to share the show uh you can also send us an email if you want mail at besties.fan uh i i hope you are ready for a uh a, a sm- in as much the spirit of the besties if you're just not joining us a uh, a bit of a shake-up format wise <laughs> we've uh, not done this before we've not done this before no this is our like seventh one but uh i think it's gonna be uh a little contentious and we're gonna have some interactive i'm fun. hyped for it so, it's gonna uh, be good i'm it's I'm gonna hyped. be good it's gonna be yeah. it's gonna be really good so uh join us for that and so much more next week on the besties because should the world's best friends pick the world's best games is a Spotify original podcast in association with Vox Media. The show is edited by Jelani Carter. And our theme song is by Ian Dorsch. Besties!